Hello, hello. We welcome you today to Love is Spoken Queer, Gospel Topics, LGBTQ Plus Voices. I'm Dustin Larson. And I'm Renee Hernandez. And Renee, we have two more weeks of April left. How does that make you feel? How have you been? What's what's on your mind since we last talked? What's your status update? No, that is wild. School for us is wrapping up. We have roughly three weeks and then the fi- there's like one more week, but it's more like wrap ups and graduations, you know? So for me, it's only three more weeks and school's over and then uh, we'll see what happens this summer. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. I did just get the second dose of the visor. I am not sure if I'm saying that right, the shot. And yeah, I'm actually feeling pretty good. I'm just tired, but I don't know if that's the shot or just my circumstances as a whole. Otherwise, I'm good. How are things for you as April wraps up, Dustin? Uh, Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good myself personally. But again, this year is just trying to outdo last year with all the events going on in the world right now. But and we'll get kind of more into that later on. But the, the main one that's kind of on my mind right now, and it might seem trivial to other people, but I'll try to walk it thin line between getting too deep into it and making it relevant to what we're going to talk about right now. But I do feel like it's relevant. But are you a fan of The Bachelor at all? I've <laughs> never you, seen a single episode. Sorry. Have you have you heard any recent Bachelor news regarding a Bachelor who just came out? <laughs> yeah, Underwood, is that his name? Colton Underwood, yeah. So Colton Underwood, I believe, was a contestant on The Bachelorette first. He was Becca's season. I can't remember what season of The Bachelorette that was. But then he became The Bachelor for the 23rd season of The Bachelor itself. He was one of the few Bachelors that started the trend of it didn't end with an engagement. He and the person he chose and gave the final rose to decided to explore things as boyfriend and girlfriends. But shortly after that, which is also a trend for the Bachelor Bachelorette, is there was a problem in paradise. And I'm not talking about Bachelor in Paradise because that's a spinoff. But no, there was trouble. And some things went down. Colton didn't really handled the breakup very well. There was some stalking. He put like a tracker on her car and like stood us out her house. She got a restraining order, but that was dropped. The reason why I'm telling that is because that plays into what's happening now. As of Friday, he went on Good Morning America with Robin Roberts and came out to the world as gay, which I think is tremendously brave of him. I think we have common experiences as queer people of faith with him because he grew up extremely conservative Christian where he was taught that gay was a sin in the Bible. Bible and that anything associated with gay was kind of bad, like in football. So he had all these things going against him as far as why he should suppress his sexuality. He had the religion, then he had the toxic masculinity of football, and then he eventually went on to be a professional NFL player before going on to The Bachelor. So he had all these kind of inner demons he had to work through, which he expressed on his interview with Robin Roberts. And he got a lot of praise from a lot of people who knew where he was coming from, a lot of uh, celebrity praise, a lot of fans of the show, but he got equally as much criticism and equally as much hate. And that's the thing that just really bugged me is because back it up, I'm back it up a little bit. So what came in tandem with him also coming out was it would it was announced that he would be getting a, a Netflix documentary where Gus Kenworthy, who is also an out uh, gay male who was an Olympic, I believe, champion i believe it was in snowboarding and he's going to play as the gay guy to this colton underwood and so there's a lot of people calling for him to get canceled because of his mistakes that happened with his past girlfriend and i'm not saying that there was any justification of what he did to his past girlfriend cassie but at the same time if you think about all the things that he was going through there was a lot like I could see why he started doing what he was doing because he was grasping to the last strings of I'm going to be straight because he even said on the interview with Robin Roberts that when he was called to be the bachelor, he thought this was God's answer to his prayers to make him straight. He goes, now I'm going to go through this whole process. I'm going to find my wife. I'm going to get my kid. I'm going to do everything that a straight man's supposed to do. But then when the relationship didn't work out, I could see how he could be in that mental state where he was trying to do anything to keep that last facade of being straight alive. And sometimes when we're at our lowest and we don't know exactly what we're what we're dealing with mentally and we're fighting against certain demons and stuff, we don't always make the best decisions. And again, I'm not saying that that's justification for what he did, but I also feel like that we should, um, I'm trying to phrase this the best way, that we shouldn't judge someone on their lowest point in life because that 
is just not allowing them to learn, to grow, and to progress. And I feel like now that he's opened this new chapter, now we can start kind of seeing how he's going to take his journey going forward. And some people are also saying that, of course, another gay white buff man of privilege is going to get all the spotlight. And yes, that is an issue that we have to combat, but we shouldn't drag down one of our own community members to make that, to get that point across. Like we don't know what this documentary is going to be about. Maybe he's going to help bring to light certain other individuals on his path to learning who he is into the spotlight and into a a platform that he could then share. I just... I don't know why I'm ranting, but I just, I think it's just really, 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 really dangerous to outwardly criticize him after coming out because that kind of sends a message to other people who are afraid to come out. What will happen the moment you come out? You're going to be criticized. You're going to be crucified. You're going to be dragged through the coals. All of your secrets are going to be brought up and that sort of thing. And I think we just have to walk a really thin line of support, but then also holding accountable for certain actions. And at this point in time, he's apologized for what he did to his past girlfriend. We don't know what went into everything. We don't know if he's legally can physically talk to her. We don't know if they want to talk to each other. We don't know any of that things. But I think from now, from this point on, we should show our support, but also remain vigilant in holding up his accountability. Like if he starts to mess up from this point on, I think, yes, we should call for the pitchforks and stuff. But it's just it's one of those things where it's it's I don't know why I felt it so deeply, but I've been in his shoes where you've reached rock bar at bottom and you don't know what you're doing and you do things that you never do in kind of a right state of mind. And so I kind of have sympathy for him. And I also have sympathy for the the girlfriend because certain aspects of that has happened to me as well. But I guess what I'm saying right now is when a member of our community comes out, we should be the last people to start dragging them and start criticizing them and start putting all that negative thoughts into the world towards this person because that can come back at us. That could easily be us. And that could be easily someone that who is closeted that is reading what you're saying or hearing what you're saying. And we just have to be very careful. And so I guess long story short, I feel like we should show our support for the bravery that Colton has had for coming out in such a public way and hold him accountable from this point forward on using this new platform that he has in a positive way and for positive change. And to hopefully in the near future, he can come to terms again with what he did to his ex. And then hopefully they can, whether it's publicly or privately, come to a place where they're good with each other and people can just leave them alone. That's just what I'm saying. So that was just a lot of stuff on my mind because I just saw this venom coming from both outside and inside our community towards this individual that could easily be associated with his sexuality. And yes, a lot of people are trying to distance themselves from their criticism of it because of his sexuality. They're saying it's not because of his sexuality that we're coming after him. But what was the catalyst for all this negativity coming forth? If you look at it, he came out, he's in the headlines again for coming out. And that started the spout of negativity, which could send a message to people out there that only negative can happen if you come out. And so that's just where I am. Sorry for the long rat rant, <laughs> but that was my status update. Wow. Your status update was, was, uh, was a good one. I'll be honest. I don't have any sentiments or feelings towards this scenario at all myself. I don't follow his career. To me, he is just another white man that I don't want to give him a platform in my brain at this time. But in time, if something more comes out of it, like he does give, uh, like you said, a platform of encouragement to other populations, that's great. But, and I, again, I don't have no judgment calls on his actions because I'm not judge, jury, or any of the sort of his peers for that matter. But I hope he is held accountable if he has done anything that is heinous towards any other person. Yeah. And, and, and the thing too, that just came into my mind too, is a lot of the Christian people were coming after him for being gay. A lot of the gay people are coming after him for being Christian. And so I think that's another thing that I really related to him as well is he's not going to be able to catch a break. And it's just so sad in the society that we're so quick to pull the skeletons out of people's closets and use that as reason to discredit this person when I feel like we should treat it as a, a blank slate and going forward, we can see what's, what's going to be happening. Yes. I think that there's a lot of white cis gay men out there that have a lot of platforms and some of them aren't using them appropriately, but give them a chance. See it at first, give them a chance before we, we pass this judgment because he's still learning who he is. He's still learning what he wants to do with his life. 
Is it the best time to have a Netflix documentary? Probably not. It since it's so soon afterwards that he should probably do some learning and growing before doing anything. But we, again, we never know. We're, we don't know what's going to come out of this. Netflix has done a pretty great job at certain documentaries uplifting the LGBTQ community and having a lens into those worlds. So it could be just another great one. It could be like a queer eye sort of thing. They're kind of gay guides as well. So we'll just see. That's just, again, I thought I was done with my thoughts, but I apparently wasn't. <laughs> Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Dustin. Hopefully other people found it informative on yeah. our podcast as well. Oh, uh, yeah. And so because I just went on a long rant and I need, a, I need a break from talking, how about we transition right into our next segment and we allow you to start talking? And that, of course, is our Fill Your Feed suggestion. And so, Renee, who is your suggestion for the listeners to follow? Okay, so my suggestion kind of goes along with the thank you, actually. I, we received an email from a listener, which I really appreciated. They noted a comment I made in our previous podcast of the sexual abuse I received when I was a kid. And they shared some really great thoughts. And I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the support. And they are right. One of the comments they made was about how a lot of people keep that in secret. And keeping just same similar to our sexualities, the more we keep it in the dark, the harder it is to heal. Because the best healing happens in the light, if you will, not necessarily like the literal sense, but just acknowledging it and putting it on the light. And the, yeah, that's something that I've been working my whole life on. And it it isn't always easy. And sometimes it shows up in the randomest of ways. But one account that I follow along with the one I shared last time, it's called a therapist spot. So it's literally just that the therapist and then spot Uh, they just share really cool stuff like one thing that i've enjoyed right now with everything that's going on in our world if any of you have currently been keeping up with the news there was that um the shooting with alam toledo that just took place and i'll be honest i've seen a lot of the videos and a lot of the different things happen throughout everything with everyone but i kind of cried this time with adam even just thinking about it right now i kind of cried and i think i don't know why maybe because he was so young or the comments from his mom. And there's the therapist spot released. I'm sorry, I'm trying I'm, I'm trying not to get too emotional here. She released something on her feed that I really loved. And I know we're just supposed to share the name, but I would love to share this post. She says, dear black and brown bodies, dear black and brown souls, dear black and brown minds, dear black and brown hearts, you're worthy of peace. You deserve joy. You're worthy of experiencing safety. You deserve growing into your adulthood and sacred old age. You deserve every breath in your body to remain full of life. You're worthy of love, resources, and real access and opportunity. You are more than a hashtag and abundant in value. You deserve accountability from the system that continue to fail you and thrive on extinguishing your light. You deserve more than to exist in survival mode because whiteness takes up all the damn space. You're worthy of rest and protection. You deserve to feel empowered. You have more than earned the right to be safe in your humanness. You're worthy of being held and feeling seen. Find joy, find rest, find joy, find rest, find joy. And it just repeats onward. And it made me feel really a lot better. Um, I know that doesn't bring comfort to the family of Adam or all those other individuals that feel the same thing, but I related to all my identities in this case, not just my brownness, but also like my queerness and everything. And it, it just, it, it made me feel a little better. And this group or this page does a lot of that for me sometimes when I need it the most. And these are things I normally don't tell people. So if you're listening to the podcast, you're getting privy to some insights into all my life that most people don't actually know. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world. And I think a lot of the chapters that we studied this week also kind of pertains to what you're talking about, especially the ones where it's saying, look out for the needy, the poor, and that sort of thing, or treat people like you want to be treated or obey my commandments. I think that's in these scriptures as well. So thank you for sharing that. And we'll probably touch upon that a little bit more when we get into the discussion. So my suggestion is called Culture City, and it's culture with a K. And I actually stumbled upon this because, did you ever watch Ugly Betty? Oh, yeah, we've discussed this. You've watched Ugly Betty. Well, the actor who plays Ugly Betty's love interest for a majority of the seasons, Henry, um, who I am obsessed with, like that is my ideal is Henry, the character Henry and the actor as well. But anyways, (laughs) going on a tangent, he apparently is a board member of Culture City and he was posting about it. I happened to watch through his stories because I watched through everything because I'm I'm just like looking at him. <laughs> but anyways, so, yeah, so th- yeah, so then I saw him post this. And I go, what's Culture City? And there was a like a little video that he posted. So I went to the website and again, it, it's a little complex what they do because it is a demographic of people that hasn't had 
a huge platform. So I think a lot of people don't realize that this demographic exists. So I'm going to just read through what their de- what their description is on their website. So they say, Culture City, make the nevers possible by creating sensory accessibility and inclusion for those with invisible disabilities. Then they go on to say, we are the nation's leading nonprofit on sensory accessibility and acceptance for those with invisible disabilities. One in six individuals have a sensory or an invisible disability. These are individuals with PTSD, autism, dementia, strokes, just to name a few. Sensory needs are a common medical condition in which the brain has trouble receiving and responding to information that comes in through the senses. Common sounds, lights, crowds, and even certain smells might not only be overwhelming, but also physically painful. Because of this, these individuals withdraw from communities not by choice, but by circumstance, as they worry about how the world will accept or include them. And then it says, Culture City changes that. We make the nevers possible in a nutshell of what they do is they are taking this somewhat underserved demographic and group of people and making it so that public places, private places, just groups in general are more accessible for these individuals. And I haven't been diagnosed with anything or things like that, but I do have friends that know me that sometimes my anxiety kicks in when I go into places with lots of sounds and sights and people like I say it's sensory overload and some of my friends know to like, let me just settle in and not talk to me in the moment because I get really agitated. Like if I'm in new surroundings or if I'm in a loud place or there's like a lot of things for me to look at, I get overwhelmed. I think it's more of an anxiety thing. So when I was watching these videos, I kind of could tell what they were going through on a very, very, very minimal level. Like I'm not in anywhere saying that I know exactly what they're going through, but I, I know a little bit of what they're going through. And the fact that the little bit that I go through is super overwhelming, I can only imagine how it is for these people. So I thought it was really interesting, just kind of the work that they're doing. And I really encourage everyone to go on to the, the site and see exactly what they're doing. They have training programs, they have fundraisers, they have like 5k runs that you can kind of participate in or that you can donate to as well. But I think it's something that not many people know about. And there's a lot of people that kind of undergo these certain circumstances. So I think it's a really interesting group to follow. Again, it's Culture City. That's all one word. And culture is spelled with a K. And again, we'll have those links in our show notes. And just keeping on with the momentum of moving through our different segments, Renee, there's one more thing we have to do before we get into our discussion. And what is that? That is our haiku hallelujah, Dustin. Yes, and this week we will be discussing Doctrine and Covenants 41 through 44 through the queer perspective of law. Boink, boink. <laughs> Do you know what that was? <laughs> it was the no. law and order, you know, the transition between scenes. It goes boink, boink. <laughs> it sure goes boink, boink. It, well, it's been, it's been determined that it's boink, boink. And it's supposed oh. to sign. It's a, it's supposed to signify a gavel. I think that's word on the street is it's a gavel, but it basically goes bonk bonk. Any any Law and Order fans out there will know exactly what I'm talking about when I go bonk bonk. <laughs> but anyways, so law. We are discussing law, and since this is an even episode, that means you go first. But I see you have something that you want to add before we jump right into it. So well, I'm just gonna say I want the listeners to know that a lot of times. Dustin will make references to a lot of things, and I basically know one out of like 1,000 of the things he references. Part of that, if I may add, is that I grew up in another country for the first six of my years, so I informed differently. And then when I came to the States, I enjoyed books a lot more than I did TV. So I didn't really start getting into TV till way later. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. Now, law. The law is given. Go forth knowing that spirit. In time, all is known. Bonk, bonk. (laughs) That was my snapping. I had to to do it before snapping. But no, I love that. I love that. It's okay. So here's my haiku on law. God commands that we obey both his and man's laws as true disciples. Bonk, bonk. bonk. <laughs> you cut off. I figured I would do it just for you. Okay. So, Renee, when you think of law as a queer person of faith, what comes to mind first? And I'm interested because it could go multiple ways. It did for me. Oh. So, what, did, what comes to mind? No, it did for me too. Law, obviously, we're all fighting for a lot of laws right now to take place to be able to protect a lot of the rights and privileges that don't exist for a lot of queer individuals in the United States and around the world, you know? 
But at the same time, those laws, are, there are laws that came to pass that kind of have hurt us, you know what I mean, whether it be in the church or out in the world. And so whenever I think law as a queer individual, it's kind of like a double-edged sword where they're the laws that we need in order to be protected and to be able to leave freely and to be ourselves. But they're the same laws that we're trying to like, that have been hurting us for so long. And honestly, like I've been struggling a lot lately with the law in the church of the proclamation to the family, which is, it is a law if you look at it. Like I, I know my place, but trying to find my place in, in that specific law has been tricky and it's been harder than usual lately. And obviously I think it's part of all the emotional roller coaster I've been on, but so yeah, so that's kind of what I think of when I think of law. How about you, Dustin? What what's coming out to your mind? I think it's a really complex word and situation, both in and outside the church. But if you dig deep enough, you'll realize that none are at odds with each other. And I think that's kind of like our faith and our authentic selves. They're never at odds with each other either. Like once we realize that we can be one they shouldn't be at odds with each other. I think this too, like we can still stand up for the rights of our queer siblings. That doesn't necessarily go against the law that God has presented us or goes against many of the laws of the lands. Because as I was looking through this, we know the top two main laws that God has or commandments, and that is to love God and to love his neighbor or love your neighbor as you would yourself. So if we keep boiling it back down to those two laws, as long as our actions are fulfilling those two laws, we should be good. If any of the things that are happening in the world right now, like taking away rights from trans children or taking away rights from suppressed voters and stuff like that, if any of those things are not showing love to our fellow man, we are not fulfilling God's law. And we need to kind of check ourselves and make sure that we are in line with that. So I think there's a lot of things that get into that. And one of the first verses that jumped out at me is Doctrine and Covenants 41 verse 5. And it says, he that receiveth my law and doeth it, the same is my disciple. And he that receiveth it and doeth it not, the same is not my disciple and shall be cast out from among you. And so I said, one of God's great commandments or laws is to love your neighbor as yourself. As a queer person of faith, I find comfort in knowing this includes all his children, and it will be those who do not show love to all his children that he will cast out, not me. So it's one of those things, too, where are you really a true disciple of Christ? If you're a true disciple of Christ, you would live as Christ lived, and you will live as Christ wants us to live. And what is that? Following these two new commandments that he came and he fulfilled the law of Moses, saying, yes, you need to do all the Ten Commandments, but everything else that was kind of trivial, that's done away with. And now I'm starting off with these two new laws, and that's to love God and then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you're not doing that, you are by default, are not a true disciple of Christ. And therefore, it's you who should be worried about your salvation and not the person that you are casting out. So it's the idea of basically looking at your own reflection before you start pointing out the faults in anyone else. Yeah, and it's and it's not, and I don't mean to come at it combatant, but if you just really think about it, the world would be a lot simpler if people just kind of worried about themselves <laughs> in, in like a, a, a salvation, not because the world is pretty selfish at the moment too. But if you work at yourself, look at yourself first, take the beam out of your own eye before casting a stone or whatever it is. I think I just mix up a bunch of scriptures before you even think about casting judgment at someone else. But if you go through all those exercises of, am I good with God first? By the time you get to judging someone else, you're probably like, no, I'm good. Like, I don't need to go that route because I've already gone through all of the exercises of myself. And by the time I got to that point, I realized that I'm not the judge God is. That's one of the things too, is God is judge and jury and eventually executioner too. Like he'll be the one that determines your eternal salvation or damnation. But it's one of those things where we kind of twist and turn certain laws in order to fulfill our own kind of selfish desires. Sometimes it's outward. And sometimes we don't even know that that's what we're doing. But I think if we need to just stop and go back to those two laws and realize, am I fulfilling both of these by the actions or by the vote that I'm going to do for this individual that's going to uphold this sort of thing? Like It's one of those things where we really need to do a self-evaluation before we then encroach on anyone else's sort of quote unquote rights or the way that they're living their life. Do you feel like, I, um, this is a question for you, do you feel that there is any point any of the church leadership has the right to judge an individual in the church? I think they are allowed to have guidance. 
That's what I'm thinking. Because we always default up to Christ, and it's always going to be a relationship between us and Christ. So I almost think that the leadership of the church should be more consultants. Like, I don't think they're the ones that say, I am sentencing you to eternal damnation because you decided to date a man. I don't think they have any of the rights to do that. And this is just the gospel reporting to Dustin. I think they can consult and they can say, according to my relationship with Christ and my relationship with God, at this point in time, this is how I feel. And I can consult you to kind of, quote unquote, change your ways that I don't agree with. But in the end, it's just going to be you making those decisions and then you doing that with Christ. So I don't necessarily think that they should present final judgment, nor should they feel like they should but they should just serve as consultants for Christ. So that's like the hopeful for we'd want, right? But currently the bishops and such can make final calls and, you know, remove someone from the church and such. So my brother just visited me recently and he was discussing how sometimes church leadership takes it to the extreme. And because of the pandemic, and we'll get into this further on too, and hopefully we won't take very much too much time on it because there's now I'm realizing there's a lot of stuff that goes into this, that be, how this, the U.S. is broken up is they're broken up into states. And so then there's federal laws and there's state laws. And the, the beauty of our democracy, as President Oak said in his talk, and I'll get into that a little bit later, is federal laws can only go to a point and then they allow state laws to kind of govern themselves in a way. And it's kind of a check and balances that there's no one all-powerful person dictating things for everyone. Where the trouble with that comes in, though, is things as far as like the pandemic and mask mandates and vaccinations and all these sort of things that like you have all these different states doing their own thing, which means you have all these different area authorities doing this all, their own thing. And then you have all these different bishoprics doing their own thing. And yes, they're given guidance, but as I've heard from my brother, some bishops kind of take it to the extreme. So again, what I'm getting to is during this pandemic, a lot of people don't feel comfortable going physically into church. They'd rather watch it via Zoom. But now that all these states are starting to open up and some states, I'm not going to call out certain states, but I'm sure you know what states I'm talking about, were always very lax to begin with. And they were always very like, poo-poo on any sort of regulations or stuff like that. But anyways, but what he was telling me that there's some bishops that if you, from this point on or whenever it is, when, when their states opened up, if you chose to not go into church, that could put your ecclesiastical endorsement of going to one of the church member schools in jeopardy because they would technically deem you inactive because you are not physically going into someone's like church and because you feel like you're not safe. And then he was talking about this other person where they were kind of on the fence on how they felt about the church and that sort of thing. And they were about to graduate. And so they did graduate, but they weren't allowed to get their diploma because they had been somewhat inactive. And in order for them to get their diploma, they then had to go back in and get the ecclesiastical endorsement. And so when things get like that, I think that's where the church has a little too much power in certain things where I feel like that's only going to push people away from the church. So I, again, I don't even know why I'm going on the soapbox, but I just, to answer your question, I feel like they should be consultants and they should have the, the thoughts and the hearts of the people they're serving at the forefront and not this, this culture confusion with doctrine, that sort of thing. And I really think that they should really go back to the scriptures, especially these scriptures where God lays out the laws and what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to treat people as you would yourself. And he says that multiple times, like he, he briefly goes through and he talks about the 10 commandments here and there. He doesn't say all of them, but the ones that he chooses were basically how to treat your fellow man. And those are the laws that we should be following. We shouldn't be harping on inactivity or we shouldn't be harping on, oh, you're not physically in the church. If you're watching it via Zoom, that should be enough. If you can, I'm always saying, if you can feel the spirit through general conference, you can feel the spirit through a Zoom sacrament meeting. So I don't know why you not wanting to put yourself at risk is looked down upon. So again, <laughs> I'm trying not to make this a soapbox uh, episode, but that's basically where I'm coming from as far as the answer to your question. No, and I'll be honest, like super vulnerable right now, like for these verses and doctrines coming are a little harder for me. I think anytime, especially when it started as in the law, 
because uh, I, I think these are the things I'm still sorting out, like the priesthood is one of them. And Doctrine and Covenants 42 focuses a lot on the priesthood. And one thing I, I always find very frustration frustrating, which it makes sense, but how the scriptures always direct themselves only to a male, like man, and it's always men, you know, like him, like it's always those pronouns. I find frustration in that and, and so forth and so on. But that's still some of the stuff that it did allow me to contemplate, though, as a queer person is that especially as a cisgender male contemplating the priesthood and the power that that comes with it, especially as a believing member of the church through the power to bless and the power to guide and to encourage and to be an active participant in the lives of others is a fantastic blessing. But like you just said too, when you're given the role of authority, you can take it too far and the law can end up hurting instead of providing the the order, the love, the compassion, the faith, the hope, the guidance, the healing power that it's really meant to have, you know, especially as we as queer individuals, we we don't particularly have a law that really is directed at us, except for maybe the proclamation of the family, if you want to consider it that, but no major guidelines. So having circumstances that makes it harder, right? Not easier for us. And so a lot of that came through this. Most of my thoughts, honestly, are more in the in 43 and fourth. So I won't. But if you have any on 42, I'd love to hear your insights on 41 and 42. No, my next one is in Doctrine and Covenants 44. So if you want to jump into 43 40. and 44, go for it. Okay, fantastic. Doctrine and Covenants 43, verses 8, starting at verse 8. I already loved it. And in part is because of what I just commented on. And it says, And now behold, I give unto you a commandment, that when you are assembled together, you shall instruct and edify each other, that you may know how to act and direct my church, how to act upon the points of my law and commands which I have given. I have to say, as a queer individual in the church, I don't always feel a lot of the instruction directed at me or the edifying happening. But I know for the fact that I am working to assemble myself together and to help many others of our uh, our siblings, queer siblings, feel comfortable enough to also gather so that we can have better direction on how to act and, direct, and allow our prophets and uh, leaders to better direct their church with us in it, to better understand all the points of the law and the commandments which have been given and how they can be directed at us and how they can edify us and instruct us. I have had a fantastic positive experience with Bishopric, but I also know the opposite is true for some of my friends. And they've gone through faith crises and they've made different decisions than myself, which I love them and respect completely that they have made their decisions on their journeys. But I really love this verse because it's something that says like that we have a role to play and I am all for it. But I'm afraid that there are more individuals like you were just describing that abuse their power and scare more of us away that we the limits our power and potential together. And it just verse nine says, and thus you shall become instructed in the law of my church and be sanctified by that which you have received. And you shall bind yourselves and act to, in all holiness before me. And I feel like I'm working towards that with Heavenly Father and the Lord. And while I do have loving members in the church and a fantastic bishop, honestly, right now, a fantastic bishop against the presidency, I still feel kind of alone in my ward because as of right now, I'm pretty sure I'm the only queer individual in my ward. And that makes it hard. So that gathering to feel instructed and edify feels kind of empty because nothing's being directed at me. And I don't know if other listeners feel that way, but really hold on to the Lord when those moments get hard because it's worth it. And I'd love to see more and more of us gathered together so that we can finally receive that instruction that we've all been waiting for. So when you're in church and you're saying that you're alone and there's things that aren't directly directed at you as a queer person of faith, are there things that are directed that you could take negatively as well? Like maybe there's not a lot of queer people there because of some of the rhetoric that's going around. Do you think that's a possibility as well? Do you think that there's just people that are afraid of coming out because of the environment? I'm not sure what your environment's like, but do you think any of that could be possible? Well, it's hard for me to tell you that just because we are barely returning back to in person. It's hard for anyone to have that kind of a toxic environment over Zoom where nobody's talking to each other or anything. It's just screens. But most of mine just comes from just the fact that like, I know that I'm the only one who's queer. And like, by that, I mean, self-identifying. I'm in a family ward, right? So um, there could, <laughs> you never know <laughs> kind of concept, but no, it, part of it maybe is the mentality of the South. People already know that the South is going to have some layers of that. My word is actually pretty accepting from our sense. It's just the idea of just being alone, of like wanting to talk to someone and say, hey, what did you think of this today? Like, did you feel like it linked? Like, as simple as that, it's not necessarily something directed straight at me or being said. It's the omission of what's not there almost than anything else. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. The reason why I asked was because back to like the beginning and it kind of makes sense why I brought up the Colton Underwood thing again. 
is, I just wasn't sure that you never know who's in the pews listening when, when this sort of negative sort of conversations come up. So I just wasn't sure if you've experienced any, any of that, which doesn't mean that it it's not a problem. But again, I was just curious because again, you never know who's listening. So if we want to be true disciples of Christ, we need to start talking as if there are all walks of life in, in the audience that we just don't know about. So I think, I think that's another thing too. That's a nice segue into Doctrine and Covenants 44, where I'm I'm talking about the all walks of life sort of thing. And the verse that jumped out at me, and tell me if you chose this and when as well, because it, it seems pretty common for it to relate to both of us, is verse 6. Did you choose verse 6 at all? I had a note on verse 6. Okay, so I'll, I'll get it first, because I hear it first. But anyways, so verse 6 of Doctrine and Covenants 44, it says, Behold, I say unto you that ye must visit the poor and the needy, and administer to their relief, that they may be kept until all things may be done according to my law, which ye have received. Amen. And I said, as a queer person of faith, I have been blessed with a sensitivity to the needs of others, especially those who find themselves on the margins of society. It is my sacred duty to stand up for them when the rest of the world has chosen to look the other way. And so I chose that verse and my thoughts on it for a few different reasons. Most obvious is from a queer person of faith's perspective. Like we have a sensitivity to know when other people are hurting and other people feel overlooked and other people feel unwanted. And we can kind of stand up and kind of combat that and speak up for them when they aren't ready to speak. But then also something that jumped out on me too is when people hear the poor and the needy, there's kind of a negative connotation that goes with it. Like I've heard people call certain people welfare cases, which is really kind of slap in the face. Sometimes it's not their doing why they're in that sort of situation. And there's sort of these these stereotypes that are associated with it. And a lot of the times those people that fall under the quote unquote poor and needy are the people that are found on the margins of society by no doing other than the people who are in the majority putting them there. And all it takes is for you to kind of look outside yourself to start recognizing these people for the children of God that they are and raising them up to where they need to be. And it's it, and another thing that I looked at it from another perspective, too, is when we're administering to the poor and the needy, that's not through monetary actions. That's not through donations of food or the bishop's storehouse and stuff like that. It could be as simple as wearing a mask in public when you're around high-risk individuals or getting vaccinated when all of the scientists and all these reports are saying to do so, and it helps. And that's another frustration that I had too, was at the beginning of this pandemic, I think we kind of had a come to Jesus moment where we are like, we're all coming together. We're all in this together. And we had this kind of kumbaya sort of thing where we're seeing where there were cracks in society. Let's do everything we can to raise everybody up. And then the social injustice thing kind of erupted. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing that it did, but it really brought to light a lot of other systems that were broken. But I think that from that point on, we lost this kumbaya or this we're all in this together mindset. And it became really ugly and it became really toxic. And then we became selfish as individuals again. And I really want us to combat that. And it starts with how can I be a better disciple of Christ today? And especially in the pandemic, what can I do? I can continue to socially distance. I can wear my mask. I can get vaccinated. Even if I am vaccinated, continuing to do that and not complain that it's against my rights and not complain that it's uncomfortable, but to realize that you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for that person who could be compromised that you have no idea about. And it's looking past that. And that is a real true disciple of Christ. And that's what he's saying is to look for them and administer to them for their relief. Again, I really hope that uh, I'm not sounding combative on this on this episode, but it just, there's a lot of things that we need to work on and there's a lot of things that we can work on. And these scriptures are calling for us to remember that and to obey the laws of God and to obey the laws of man. And if the laws of man aren't in line with the laws of God, we have the voices and the resources to change this and make them align. No, I, I honestly, I, I like that a lot. And I like how you said that the poor isn't necessarily a financial thing. And it's not always about trying to like give them the basics of food and things like that, which is great. And the line that stood out to me, the part that I had a note on is that they may be kept until all things may be done according to my law, which you have received. It's like once the laws of the Lord are set and everything he's commanded us is in order, there won't be any poor. 
everybody would be equitable. So like, like you were talking about social justice movements, the, a lot of those quakes have to happen for finally everybody who is poor of rights, poor of justice, poor of all these different things is finally on equal terms with everyone else, you know? For me, another verse that stood out in 44, it kind of goes back to what I was say, talking about the gathering. Section 44 is where it closes up and it says, in verse two, it says, and they shall come to pass that in as much as they are faithful, and exercise faith in me. I will pour out my spirit upon them in the day that they assemble themselves together. And I shall come to pass that they shall go forth into the region round about and preach repentance unto the people. And in my mind, I was like, instead of repentance, it's like queerness <laughs> in the sense of like, well, you know, we'll be able to preach it and share it and staying faithful in the Lord will help guide our path a lot. At least that's how it's felt for me. I honestly don't think I could accomplish all the things I had done without the Lord. Sometimes I, I say that specifically because I don't think it's the church. The reason that I stick to the church. It's not the church that I stick to the gospel. It's generally the Lord. He's always been the one that whether I was Catholic or LDS or whatever, he's always been my constant and my guide in prayer and thought and spirit. So this really resonates with me. I feel like he's poured out my spirit to better understand. Like I said, I don't understand a lot of the stuff yet, but I understand at least who I am. And that's helpful. You know, at least now I do. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And a lot of the conversations that we had today kind of reminds me of conversations I've had with my family as well recently, where we keep hearing all this unrest happening and it's basically regional. All the different regional wards treat the members differently. Like in New York, I love my ward in New York and they've treated me extremely well. But I hear of all these other pockets of of different wards in different regional areas where they are there, they can do a lot better to, to serve those in need and stuff like that. And we keep reminding ourselves that a lot of our frustration with the church isn't necessarily the church. It's a lot of how the members act. And then if we remember that it's not all members, it's just the select members, which made me feel a lot better because I'm like, this could be changed. People can be changed because the church and its foundation is is why I'm here and why I come to church. And like you said, the gospel, the one frustration that I have are the people and the people can be changed just like in government, our government leaders can be changed too. And I think what we've noticed from this recent year is the people are the ones that should be making the decision and the people are the ones that can make the decisions because we've realized that the people that are already at the top in power they're sitting pretty and a lot of them won't change what they're doing because it benefits them and they don't see how they need to change or why they need to change. And we, I think we realize this too, with the whole trickle down economics, it doesn't work because the money only goes so far. So I think the trickle down kind of politics or whatever, as far as rights, that doesn't work either because it only goes so far. So we need to start thinking about the trickle up where it's the voices of the people making the change little by little, like locally as well in local elections. And that's how we can kind of start to change things on a government level. And I think we could do the same thing in the church as well, though we don't have elected officials, but we can make our voices heard and we can make our needs heard. And hopefully that can trickle up to eventually the general authorities to ask the questions on our behalf to Heavenly Father. And to kind of wrap up our our, our discussion, um, I don't want to get too deep into it because then I will go on a whole nother tangent, but a, a great talk to kind of look at. And again, it could be kind of dry at first and it could be kind of hard to interpret, but I listened to it and then I, I read it a couple of times and I still got the same impressions is from this most recent general conference. It's defending our divinely inspired constitution by President Dallin H. Oaks, the first counselor and the first presidency. And the first things that kind of really jumped out at me, and I really encourage everyone to go read these with an open mind, not biased by your political affiliation, but looking at it truly with the spirit, maybe say a prayer, maybe look at it when you're not all hopped up on the news or whatever's happening, but go back and look at it with a clean spiritual palette and then see what you can get out of it. But this is what I got out of it. So the first thing that really jumped out at me was he says, the United States Constitution is unique because God revealed that he established it for the rights and protections of all flesh, not the white flesh, not the male flesh, not the rich flesh, but all flesh. And so that is really us saying that this constitution is meant for the rights of everyone to be equal. And it shouldn't be used, like I said before, gospel doctrine shouldn't be used as a weapon. The constitution shouldn't be used as a weapon as well, because it was divinely inspired to protect all of God's flesh on earth. And the backup for that is they he talked about this in Doctrine and Covenants 101, verse 77. It says, 
says, according to the laws and constitution of the people, which I have suffered to be established and should be maintained for the rights and protection of all flesh, according to the just and holy principles. And so he goes on to say that there are five things that he was divinely inspired that support the support of the constitution. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the ones that really jumped out at me are the first is the principle that the source of the government power is of the people. And so, of course, if we don't agree with what's going on in the world right now, we can make our voices heard. And it starts with like local elections and that sort of thing. So he wants us to be educated. He even says in this talk that Dallin H. Oaks, he says that we need to be educated citizens in the community. And that means looking at what a candidate stands for and aligning our values with that person. He says sometimes it means you have to jump from party to party, depending on what they stand on. Just because you're a Republican doesn't mean you have to vote Republican all the time. Just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you have to vote Democrat all the time. Look at something that aligns with your values. And if you need a refresher of what your values are, go back to the first two laws that Christ gave us, love God and love your neighbor. And that sort of thing that can kind of help you there. And then the last one that really jumped out at me is he says, I see divine inspiration in the vital purpose of the entire constitution. We are to be governed by the law and not by individuals. And our loyalty is to be to the constitution and its principles and processes, not by any office holder. In this way, all persons are equal before the law. And so that's something that we can think about as well is we know there's a lot of kind of mass shootings going on in the world. We know there's a lot of murders of people of color by the police, but don't let that distract you from the other things that are also happening. We have trans murders happening. We have trans rights being taken away. So at this point in time, we need to follow President Oak's suggestions of being informed on what's going on in this world and to make sure that all the injustices we see, all the pain and sorrow that would not be what Christ wants, that we do our part to make it so that way the laws of the land align with the laws of God. And I'm talking about love your neighbor as yourself and that all flesh should be protected under the law of the land, which is the Constitution. So that's kind of a quick little rundown of President Oak's that all also kind of aligns with our discussion today of law. So Renee, before we take a break, any any thoughts? Because I shot a lot at you right there real fast. There's a lot of thoughts I have when someone brings up the constitution and they say that it wasn't intended to be for white individuals, that it wasn't directed at any race, but considering the individuals that wrote it, that's hard. Or to say that it was only meant for white men, considering women or other races weren't included as much, especially considering that slaves were, you know, it's hard. And I I do understand the doctrines and covenants. It's something that you can build a testimony towards, especially section 101 that you read. I think just coming from the other end of it as a person of color, I mean, obviously I know you are as well, but like it sometimes, and let's be real, person of color technically doesn't apply to me either as well, but it's just hard to almost like try to put that belief and like you really do have to pray and have a lot of faith for that because a lot of times the constitution feels more like it's going against you and helping you but that being said i definitely would never trade to live somewhere else but here just because it's given me the ability to accomplish a lot i just know it's also caused a lot of hurt along the way for a lot of other groups and people so those are the only thoughts i had it was in regards to like saying what you said was wrong in any shape or form it's just something that's hard for a lot of other individuals on the marginalized end who are receiving the other end of the stick to kind of like swallow sometimes it's hard sometimes considering we're an international church and the constitution is irrelevant in other countries and it feels very egocentric to only focus on our constitution where there's other constitutions where we have members that have no rights and they're not being protected. Yeah. So those are my only thoughts, I guess. Yeah, no. And I, he does explain in the talk also that this is a U.S. only and that it inspired constitutions of other countries as well. And thank you for, for pointing out again that this church is a global church. And I feel like, yes, the founding fathers were a bunch of white men. Some of them had slaves at the time. We're writing this. And at the time, all flesh to them meant only flesh that looked like them. But I think this this is what encouraged me. And thank you for, in a way, calling me out on this as well. But what inspired me is to make sure that it upholds what it says. And we can do that by making our voices heard both in and outside of the church, because in a way they go hand in hand because we've commanded to obey the laws of the land. So we need to make sure the laws of the land are for everyone. For sure. Especially moving forward. And with that, I think it's time to take a short break. And welcome back from the break. You're listening to Love is Spoken Queer. And Renee and I have just finished discussing, well, 
discussing a lot, but we were discussing Doctrine and Covenants chapters 41 through 44 through the queer perspective of law with a lot of other sort of relatable tangents thrown in as well. So Renee, what do you feel called to do with all this thrown at you? To breathe (laughs) and to take everything in with a grain of salt and try to, I don't know, understand better, I guess, more than anything else. I'll be honest, most everything right now this week has been kind of heavy. Like I mentioned, the Adam Toledo thing kind of hit me a bit harder. That first, uh, I think it's his age. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just just made it, I don't know, life is too precious. And for someone that young to have taken it, be taken away like that, it just feels really strong. So breathe and remember that things will get better. They always do. Thank you for that. So it wasn't really like, I guess, uh, a thing. It's just more I'm telling myself, breathe. <laughs> Things will get better. No, no, it's a call. You feel called to kind of take take deep breaths and and know that it, it will get better. And hopefully hopefully your relationship with God uh, you find so precious will help you get through it as well. I feel called to continue being a educated and educated. I should probably, if I'm going to say I'm educated, I should probably say it correctly. But no, I plan to be and continue to be an educated citizen and making sure that I am well-informed. So that way, when it's my turn to make decisions in our country or in the world or in the church, that I come at it confidently and with a spiritual guide of bringing it to God to get kind of his confirmation as well. And to just always continue. Yes, it could be overwhelming. And when it comes to a point where it is overwhelming to follow your advice and breathe, but at the same time, we can't look the other way. We can't take a break from the injustices in the world because there's people out there that don't have that privilege of turning off racism against them or turning off how they're treated in this world. So I need to continue the quest for equal rights for everyone. And listeners, thank you for listening. I know we just threw a lot at you and we hope that it's <laughs> it's not too heavy. We hope it's more motivational and we hope that it's inspirational in the little bits that we were able to give to you. And if you have anything that you'd like to contribute to this discussion, whether it's your thoughts on, on, on the discussion, a haiku hallelujah. If you have any insight on any of this, please feel free to send it into lovespokenqueer at gmail.com or send us a direct message on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And again, listeners, thank you for listening. And remember to always be true to you and love one another. Until next time. Bye. Bye. You've just listened to another episode of Love is Spoken Queer. If you want to join in on the conversation, feel free to send us an email at our Gmail account, which is lovespokenqueer at gmail.com, or send us a direct message on our social channels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you really love our episodes and our show, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That is the fastest way for us to share our words with everyone out there. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you.